Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another interview that I'm sharing from the Talent Development Virtual Summit. And this one is all about virtual facilitation best practices. So if you are someone like all of us who was used to doing in-person programs before COVID and uh, had to make a shift and do a lot more virtual and digital programs after COVID, and you're still looking for ways to up your game uh, on virtual facilitation, then this is going to be a great interview and session for you. Now, if you figured it all out, then congrats to you. Uh, You could skip this interview, but if you are still looking for tips on becoming a better virtual facilitator, then I highly recommend you stick around because for my session today with Leanne Hughes, Leanne Hughes is the host of the First Time Facilitator podcast. She consults and facilitates for a lot of different organizations globally. She's based down in Australia, and I was excited to have her joining us on the Talent Development Virtual Summit because I know she uh, knows a ton about virtual facilitation, and quite frankly, I thought I did too. I've been facilitating live and virtually for quite some time, um, but this session blew me away. So many great tips, things I hadn't really been thinking about. Uh, I was writing down notes furiously while listening to this interview or while interviewing Leanne, and uh, I hope you as well will as well. So get your pen and paper ready or your notes uh, app ready to take some notes on this because there is a lot of valuable content in here. Now, again, this is a session Uh, One more in the series where I am sharing audio from the Talent Development Virtual Summit we ran a few weeks ago. We had 32 expert speakers, including Leanne, as well as several live Q&A sessions during the Virtual Summit. And if you missed it, that's okay. The recordings from all 40-plus sessions are available in the member vault in the side, the Talent Development Think Tank community that I run. Now, the community is not just about getting access to those recordings. That is merely a bonus The main point and focus of the community is bringing people together in talent development to have conversations where we can share best practices, ask questions, and solve real challenges so that we can get better at our jobs, solve challenges back at work, and accelerate our careers in talent development. And if you are someone who enjoys building a network, connecting with others in talent development, and uh, just improving the way you work and build programs and engage your people, this is something you're going to want to check out. Just head on over to tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank. Uh, you can also go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com, I think, but tdtt.us has all the information right there on the community, and you can register right there and join us. Um, and Leanne, we have um, a call every Wednesday on Zoom. 
and uh, we sometimes have open forum calls. We also bring in uh, guest speakers. Many of the uh, guests you've heard on the podcast, we bring in as guest speakers, a lot of the expert speakers from the virtual summit we're inviting on uh, to do open Q&A. So it's not webinar style, it is Q&A. We can really jump in and and get your questions answered. And I've invited Leanne to come do a QA and a inside the community. Uh, What will be tomorrow uh, on uh, Wednesday, um, and that is, uh, whew, I got the date, uh, October 17th, I believe. Um, sorry, that's going to be uh, Wednesday, October 28th at 5 p.m. Eastern. So if you are interested in, uh, you listen to this presentation, this on October 28th at 5 p.m. Eastern. So if you listen to this interview and you have questions, you want to hear more, you want to talk with us, talk with Leanne about virtual facilitation, come join the Think Tank community and come get your questions answered. That's tdtt.us. All right, without further ado, here is my interview with Leanne Hughes, host of the First Time Facilitator podcast from the Talent Development Virtual Summit. Enjoy. Want to learn how to create really great virtual development programs? Well, I have a great session for you. My next guest is legendary, and I can't wait to introduce her to you. Leanne Hughes is the host of the First Time Facilitator podcast, a virtual facilitator extraordinaire, and the creator of the Virtual Possible program. She has facilitated programs for clients all over the world, done tons of it virtually. I'm excited for her to come and share some of those best practices with us today. Leanne, welcome to the summit. Wow, Andy, what an intro. Thank you so much. Legendary. There's a lot to live up for now. Legendary. Yes. You've done a lot of great work. I love seeing all your stuff all over social media. Um, I know you've gone all in on this virtual facilitation world. And there's a lot of people out there struggling with how to take these programs that they've had, they've been running for years in person, and find a way to make them effective virtually. So Let's just start with what are some of the big challenges? What are some of the mistakes that you hear or see people making when trying to make this transition? Yeah, there's a couple of mistakes. And to be honest, I've made a lot of them as myself. And I've sort of fumbled and tripped my way into getting better at virtually getting better at this virtual game. And I think that's the secret as well is actually well, number one is actually having the courage to experiment and to do things differently. Now, what seems to have happened is we've inherited this way of running virtual workshops. Common mistake is that people will take whatever they delivered face to face and slap a webcam on it without thought of redesign or timing or thinking about this new medium. So that's the first mistake I see. The second mistake I said is probably the the legacy issue that we feel that learning is a 60 minute webinar. That's what it is. And it's slides, a talking head, some Q and A at the end. It's very predictable. So um, in my podcast, first time facilitator, I talk a lot about how can you create an unpredictable experience that will predictably work. So what I love to explore with people is how can you take what's existing already How can you flip that? How can you add to it, reverse it, whatever it is to make things a little bit different for your participants and not accept the status quo that we're seeing right now. And Andy, you've been on these webinars as well. We've all been on them. So I think courage is really important. The courage to question it, the courage to try things differently, the courage to think that, okay, I might try something, it might fail, but I've learned from it, I'll get better. Yeah, absolutely. I I love that. And um, a lot of people are trying to just take what they had and just put it online and it doesn't always work. 
Um, but there are a lot of challenges that come with um, trying to run programs virtually, some new challenges, right? Can you talk about what are some of those challenges? What are some of the biggest things that gets in the way for people? Yeah, so I think what gets in the way is probably some of our self-talk. And when COVID started hitting, I mean, I love, like you, Andy, I love being in a face-to-face -face environment, the energy of people. So automatically, I'm saying to myself, this isn't going to be as good. This isn't going to be as engaging. I'm not going to have as much fun. So this is what's going on in our own heads. Now, how is that going to serve us? Andy, I know you talk a lot about mindset. Mindset, it affects the way that we feel, ultimately the way that we show up. So if we're as facilitators thinking, this is going to be terrible, it's not going to be as good as a face-to-face -face experience, what impact does that have then on our design and the way that we're entering these meetings ourselves? That's one thing. I think it's actually reframing what the assumptions are and looking for the opportunities. Now, there are so many opportunities. Like if you have people are listening, they work for global companies, the way to connect now through virtual is absolutely incredible. Um, so I think that's, that's a key thing is our own mindset. The second challenge is the fatigue. Uh, there's words that have come out. I, I quickly phrased Zoom Teague, I think about a week into COVID because I was like registering for every call and, and yeah. just hopping onto meetings. So a challenge is really putting ourselves in the participants' minds and thinking, okay, they're probably having a similar challenge. They're pretty much logging off the call, hitting that red button, clicking a new link to enter another call. So what happens is they haven't got up and stretched, they haven't got some sunshine, they haven't hydrated, they're just buzzing around. So it's really important when you bring people into your meeting, your workshop, that you set a new tone from the beginning. And there's a bit of pre-work that we can talk about how you can do that. One thing that I've done actually is, um, Andy, I'm not really known for being mindful. I wanna get more into meditation. I've, used, I've started using the Calm app, I see that you use it. Um, but I do have a friend and she has a podcast called Centered in the City. She created a meditation for me. So when I had participants arriving, the first two minutes we played a meditation. It just signaled that we were starting something a bit differently and it had them centered, more focused, and I myself was more present. So little things like that, like I said, it's unpredictable. No one's expecting it, but it signals to your participants that you're doing things a little bit differently. Wow, I love that. I did not know that you did that. And I am big on mindfulness and meditation. I use the Calm app every single day. Uh, and I've never started a program off with uh, a meditation. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? You, you have people coming yeah. in and as they're coming in, you're leading it, you wait for everybody to be there and get started. How does it work? Yeah, I definitely wait for everyone to arrive. And there's, that's an interesting call, actually. And what I've seen, let's just talk about people arriving yeah. first before we talk about the meditation. I think that's important because there's that weird, awkward time, right? You've got people arriving, you're having to create some small talk. It seems a bit like, uh, this is awkward for everyone. So some cool things that you can do. One that's thing the same as it was in is... real life, right? <laughs> to it now, but it's just yeah. different. It's virtual. Well, we can control that as well, right? There's, there's some power in this. So one thing we can do is we can pimp our Zoom waiting room, right? So you can put an image and a question in. So while people are waiting, before you've even let them in, it signals, wow, okay. Usually I just see this blank screen with your meeting will start soon. So pimp your waiting room is one thing. Very easy to do in Zoom. Second thing is if you've got participants that are feeling a little bit awkward, you can let them in one by one, like you do in a normal workshop and just have a quick chat to them, show them how to put their camera on, test their sound, show them chat, you can do that. Um, while they arrive, what I like to do is have like a, I'll have a question. It'll be on a shared screen. 
I'll encourage them to share in chat, you know, what's the local time zone? Uh, what's their 3 p.m. snack of choice? Your favorite question. Just get them to start interacting from the beginning. Then in my email, I'll say, right, we're going to close doors at a certain time because like in a face-to-face -face workshop, it's really kind of awkward when people enter at different times. So you can be quite strict about that too. And then Andy, with the meditation thing. So yeah, I, um, because I, like I said, I'm not the most calmest person. I, I move pretty quickly. So what I did was when everyone arrived, just did a quick introduction and then played, I shared my computer audio and I played the recording that my friend Wade had put together. And you can contextualize this. So um, we also had a centering one to start off with. And then midway through, we were doing some visioning for the next six months. So we did a mindfulness session, which was all about, okay, uh, close your eyes. Imagine what six months looks like from now. And we played that. So it again, shifted focus from talking about the past to now switching to the future. That is really cool. I am already learning so much in this uh, interview. I love the idea of the wait, using the waiting, pimping your waiting room, asking questions, letting people in one by one. Uh, and then starting to center people, ground people with that mindfulness session. Because you're right, people are going from session to session. They're getting that Zoom fatigue that a lot of people are talking about. Um, so how do you, uh, you know, bring them back and allow them to kind of reset a little bit? Um, one of the things I also wanted to talk to you about is, or ask you about is, how do you connect with people? Because I think a lot of people look at live, these virtual sessions and say, well, I can't make the connection like I do in real life. And you already talked about this idea of letting people in one by one. What are the other things that you can do to, to build those connections? Well, it's funny you say that, Andy, because we've never met, but I feel connected to you. I feel like we have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, number one, I think it's because we use video a lot. Like we just chat on Zoom. Uh, we've done FaceTime calls as well, which is using video. Video is really important. Uh, people though, a lot of people feel reluctant to share their videos sometimes. So I think like the, the pre-stuff is important. Uh, Priya Parker says in her book, The Art of Gathering, the event has started before it has even started. Now, a lot of people wait for the moment that someone jumps on a call to start connecting with them, but it happens before that. This is why sequencing is really important. So when I'm working with a new client, I'm, I'm trying to, again, put myself in the participant's mind. They're like, okay, I've got to go to this leadership program. Who is this facilitator? There's a lot of uncertainty. And if you know the SCARF model, uncertainty can trigger a threat response. So I think, how can we give them as much certainty as possible? So Annie, I'll go back to what I'm used to, video. I will shoot a quick video, like a minute long going, hey, I'm Leanne. This is what you're going to come in for. This is what to expect. I'd love you to start testing with the Zoom or MS Teams platform. Get on camera, get used to it. Please come to me if you've got any questions beforehand. So what you're doing there is answering a lot of those frequently asked questions that they may not even be aware that they have. They are connected to you already because they've seen your video and they'll probably end up finding you on LinkedIn or looking at your website anyway to get more familiar. So you've already set that up beforehand. So when people are coming in, it's not cold. Okay, so that's, I think, perhaps really important. Then when people arrive, it's setting that tone of this will be an interactive session, which is why I use things like questions and looking into the camera. Now, this is probably the hardest part of being a virtual facilitator because in real life, if we tell a joke, we get, well, hopefully, we get people laughing. Like we get that immediate feedback. Unfortunately, the default setting in Zoom is that everyone is on mute. Right. So you might throw out a joke and it's crickets and you think, okay. And, and that reinforcement to you is negative, which then plays with your self-talk, 
which then destroys your confidence, right? So a lot of this, um, and I think when I talk to facilitators, the hardest part for them is we do connect through our eyes. So it is really important to look through the camera, but also balance that with, again, looking at who you're talking to for that feedback. Strategies I've seen to get connections are making sure everyone is off mute. So just say, look, we're going to unmute everyone, uh, but let them know beforehand just so they can get into a space that's, that's really quiet. Then you can get some of that sort of, get that reinforcement. The other thing I did, did the other day, Andy, was I made everyone a co-host in my meeting as a way to signal that this isn't a meeting where Bob talks to Leanne, Alan talks to Leanne, Sherelle talks to Leanne. I want everyone talking to each other. So instead of a star meeting where everyone's talking to me, the host, I want a spaghetti meeting where we're all talking to each other. And something like making everyone a co-host can symbolise that as well. So yeah, camera lens, looking down that, practice that. It's tough. I'm doing it right now, Andy. Like I'm trying to look at you, but I'm like, no, no, I'm going to look into the lens and make this point and occasionally uh, look at you as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to look at the camera while I ask you this next question. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, the video enables so much and you want to make sure people are on video. You want to make sure you're on video. You're making a connection. And while it's not as good as being there in person, the video allows you to make a connection. And as you pointed out, you and I you live in Australia. I live in the United States. I think you're 14 hours ahead of me time zone. Right now it's my afternoon. It's your morning the next day. And we've been on Zoom multiple times. We've done FaceTime chats where I've been sitting in my backyard just catching up on things. We chat almost every day on Instagram, my morning, your evening, I feel like. And yeah. we've gotten to know each other really well because the technology is there. So we can't let that be a limitation or an excuse uh, to build real connections, real relationships with people as you and I have done. A hundred percent. And like the guy that I'm collaborating on virtually possible with is in Singapore. We've never, we don't even send emails. We just do video calls, uh, audio notes and WhatsApp messages. And we've created something out of nothing just through, uh, communication like that. So yeah, no emails. That was a, a really big thing. No, hmm. no emails. <laughs> so now you, you talked about, um, creating this interaction and different conversations going, not just the one way conversations with you. Um, and you talk about using zoom and waiting rooms, these things like that. What about if you've, if you've got a meeting that's getting bigger, 20, 25, maybe more people, do you use breakout rooms a lot? And how do you strategically use those to make sure that programs are effective? Yeah, it was funny. I was talking to a guy called Misha Globerman and he ran his birthday party on like a cocktail Zoom party. And he said, it would be really weird if you went to a real cocktail party and everyone's standing, it's 25 people standing in a circle, like just, you know? So yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm, this is his idea. I'm going to share it. It was awesome. So he actually uses... Um, he broke out people into topics of conversation. So if someone wants to talk about video games or they want to talk about COVID or homeschooling, yeah. they'd have a Google sheet and they'd have a link to breakout room one, two, but he'd call them cool things like the lounge room, hmm. the, 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 the pool bar. So if you think about your virtual, let's take this into corporate, it could be like the, um, the water cooler, water cooler talk, or it could be boardroom talk. Yeah. I'm just pulling these out right now, or let's go for a coffee. And you can set these up and go, right, if everyone's a co-host, you can select which room that you go into. So I like that way of doing it. I do use breakout rooms a lot. I find it really funny though, when you break people out and you're the only one sitting there, you think, right. ah, I'm getting, like, this is weird. Like, what, what's going on in these rooms? So you can, um, I, usually like, I can wait in the main room, but you can also float around between different rooms. Just be on, if you don't want to interrupt, turn your video off, go on to mute, let people know that you might be floating around just so you can like sort of go in and do what that facilitator does, like float around. Yeah. 
I, yeah. I've always wondered about that too, because I've run these programs where I put breakout rooms out and then I'm sitting there. I usually have a co-facilitator or a producer. So we're just kind of chatting and it's nice to have that downtime. But at the same time, when you facilitate in real life, I'm usually floating around having conversations with people listening in to hear where they're going, answer any questions that come up. Uh, and you want to make sure you're available to answer questions. So you pop in, do you find that that, that allows people to open up and ask those questions as well? Yeah, people don't seem to mind. They're like, oh, and then like they might ask. The other thing you can do is before you put people into breakout rooms is uh, they can like, they can request you to join them. So just maybe give them that instruction before they move into breakout rooms. Like you can call out to me, I'll jump in. The other thing uh, I think is important before you go into breakout rooms, again, this is all about sequencing and prep, is the other thing, Andy, if you found this, you get people back from a breakout room and you're like, okay, what happened? Right. And again, nothing. So what I do suggest is when you, before you break out, you give a couple of prompts and then you also say, hey, I would love you to rep, uh, nominate one person in your breakout room to share when we come back. So then at least, again, that certainty, someone knows they've nominated that person. When they come back, that person is ready to share back. Yeah, it's a ninja strategy. It's, very, it's like one key phrase, but it just changes that whole dynamic changes everything so they're ready to go you have like a team captain or someone that's um that's yeah ready. i love that team captain nice i want to take a step back maybe we should have started here but when you are embarking on a new program you've got a group size whatever it may be 10 20 30 40 and you've got an objective how should people think about designing a virtual program to be mm. effective and how do you weigh the trade-offs of hey, we could probably all knock this out if we get together for three hours versus maybe one hour a week or all the different options that you have for virtual. Yeah, great question. I'm actually going through this right now. I've been asked to redesign a three-day in-person leadership program and provide a quote to a client on what that would look like virtually. And this is not, I thought I could sit down for an hour and map this out, got my iPad, I started drawing and I thought this is really quite complex. And you have to get into the detail of what that, like you said, what the program is. But also think about, so the objectives, we all know that. I like separating objectives into two different types. There's the rational objectives. So for leadership, it's like, okay, I wanna get, you want people to get better at giving feedback using a certain model. That might be a rational objective. Then there's the experiential objective. What kind of experience do you want that person to have? How do you want them to feel inspired, willing to take action? Those two things are equally important and will drive the outcome. If we only thought of rational objectives, yeah, you can stick them on a 60 minute webinar, but what's the purpose? Is it to create discussions and conversations? So now I'm thinking about this and, my, and I actually like asking myself the question, if I, had, if I didn't have the option of jumping onto a Zoom call or a webinar, how would I communicate this information? So what that does, that question, it's an important question. It goes, okay, how else do people learn? So now I'm thinking, can we set up like WhatsApp groups where we send thought provoking questions and they need to respond to that either through video or audio or just through communication that way. So little huddles. Um, how do we bring in that group accountability? Uh, video, is it pre-record versus live? What's the value of bringing everyone on a live call? Are we actually getting into interaction or is this a one-way message? I'm trying to think of all the different mediums and then sequencing. Now, the value of this is this company is in construction. It is so hard for them. Every time I ran a three-day program, do you know like, how hard it was to get everyone off a site for three days? Yeah. So now I'm thinking, great. Now, this virtual game, let's think of how we use these WhatsApp groups and the conversations with 
um, just in time sort of tappers bite-sized videos on each sort of topic and then wrap that around some type of experience um, in, in the sequencing of that. Now that also, these are my ideas, but I've got to work in with the client and think about what's the reality of this, how will it work? So yeah, I think, I think the, the question to go back to is if we couldn't do this on a live virtual session, how else would we create this conversation and this experience? Yeah, it's uh, you want to start with the end in mind, right? And what, what do we want to achieve out of this? And I like that you talked about the rational objectives, the experiential objectives, what do you want people to feel like? And then interesting question, if we didn't use Zoom or we didn't use video, what else would we do and start to investigate other tools? Um, so then you start to design that out and you consider when people are going to be available, how, how much. Do you consider how much time can or should they be spending on a live call versus maybe doing stuff in between um, to design? Yes. yes, absolutely. Because, well, and this is probably coming from, to be honest, to be very selfish, I don't want to be running a two hour session. I, I simply do not want to be sitting here talking for two hours. And first, and I, as a participant, I wouldn't want to be on a two hour call. So I think the maximum, and I've, I've done quite a few of these in the last few months, I've tested out different formats. I have done the two hours. People are exhausted by the end of it. I've done all day sessions on, on virtual by module four. You, you just, it's awful for everyone. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking like, okay, the morning, I know most people are pretty active before lunch. So that, that's great timing for us. That's where our prefrontal cortex is firing. We've got that energy, that innovation. Um, I would say no more than 19 minutes if it's a live session, like really chunk it down. And I, even with the modules, I'm thinking, okay, that can be a pre-record. That can be, that can be a quick one minute message. That can be a discussion point. And I'm trying to minimize the amount of lifetime we have and for use that for things like for the interaction, for the questions, for teams to share their presentations. Yeah. So this is what I mean. It's, it's what I thought would take me an hour to quote on. I'm still thinking about it three days later. Interesting. I've actually run, um, yeah. I have, I have a couple of programs I run one in particular that has, uh, I've done two, three and a half hour sessions. Uh, but it's very interactive in and out of breakout rooms a lot, not a lot of like main room lecture time. And I think it works. Um, but that's the key to it. Like there has to be a lot of moving around and, you know, engagement interaction. Otherwise, if people are just sitting and listening, forget it. They're not going to, they're, they're going to tune out after a while. Ah, uh, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, my key design philosophy, if you listen to my podcast, I say it every week is contrast. So what I'll do is like say it's a three and a half hour session or 90 minute session, just map it out on a page and think how much contrast is there? And I take this away really from contrast is a great way to live your life. Actually, like I'll go for a run and then I'll have a beer in the afternoon. That's just the way that I live. <laughs> but way to live. Um, yeah, thanks. And the great food, it's like soft on the inside, but it's tight, like crunchy on the outside. It's like it, it contrast. You can see it through life, but in terms of workshop design, it's okay. You can start off with a story. Then it's, talking about that, then it's data, then it's an infographic, then it's, so it's actually seeing your sequencing over the course of whatever time period it is and ensuring that there's contrast there. When you watch TV shows, I mean, they're splitting camera angles, what every five seconds now, just to hold attention. So, you know, our battle is against attention, right? But like you said, if people can sit through the movie Titanic, can they sit through? Okay, I know there's a that was a big budget movie. There's a bit of a comparison there, but yeah, all that, it was all that three is, hours. Like, your your point is people can sit through three hours of watching something. It's not a question of whether they can or not. It's only a question of can you keep them engaged. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And Leonardo DiCaprio, the answer is yes, they can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I and James Cameron. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah. they, they knew what they were doing. Um, they also had a large uh, niche audience that we're probably not talking about, which is high school girls. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> teenage, teenage girls. Uh, fun fact, actually. I talked to someone who was involved in that years ago. He said that the reason that Titanic was so successful uh, was that the average, well, like people like you and me saw it once or twice. Um, the average yeah. teenage girl saw it like 19 times or something like that in the theater. So um, that was their oh, target. Andy, I, was a, I was a teenage girl back then. So I bought it on, on video. Yeah. yeah. That was like my Christmas present. And I watched it over and over. Three, my gosh, what could I have done with my life? I wish I was an entrepreneur <laughs> back then. But see, <laughs> back to know your audience, right? And create something Correct. that's really great for them. Um, so we've talked, you've shared so much great value, so many great tips in this. Um, for people that are thinking, okay, I'm thinking about doing some of this stuff, it's a little bit scary. What's the risk if we don't take this action, if we don't put this stuff into place and we just do the standard webinar stuff all the time? Uh, well, the risk is that we continue to set it. So there's a couple of risks for yourself and then also for the, for the broader community, the world. It's getting a bit dramatic. But this is the thing, and I talked about courage, is if we keep replaying what we, we're seeing from other people, the standard is being set then for other people because as your community of talent development professionals, people are particularly looking to you to set the standard on what these look like. So it's up to you. We talk about leadership as well. Leadership would be just opening your workshop a little bit differently because what that's doing is saying to everyone else in your company, it's okay to try things. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to test. So I think that's really important from a uh, corporate community global thing. Like let's, let's be the change here and start doing things differently from a personal perspective. Uh, that's no way to live your life. I think let's not accept the status quo. Like we're here, you're watching this, you're part of this conference because you want to shake things up. You want to make a stand. You, you have something to contribute to the world. So it's again, up to you to your personal, um, well, I, I guess I'm lecturing here. I shouldn't be, but um, I just think it's really important for us to keep testing and growing every day. And part of that is just trying new things into things like these Zoom calls. So yeah, two different aspects on why it's important. Tell when I talk to a fellow facilitator who gets uncomfortable talking after a long time, you're used to asking questions and letting other people do the talking, right? Um, well, let's finish on this. You know, what, what haven't we covered? You, you run a program on this called Virtually Possible. You've interviewed dozens of uh, facilitators. Um, I've been lucky enough to be on your podcast as well. Um, and so I know you've interviewed a lot of great people. What haven't we covered? What, what else should people be thinking about um, to, before they go out and, and design their next virtual program? I think the one thing that I like to keep in my mind when I'm on these calls is how great is the timing of this? We are this whole COVID thing has been a real leveler. So all of us around the world are scrambling and trying to get better at this. I find that re really reassuring because there's no real expert. We're all learning off each other. We're observing what works well and bringing that in. So the fact that we're all in this together at the moment, now is the right time to get better at it and to keep testing. I, th I would hold that. That's what I hold in my own mind. It's like, okay, Leanne, no one, no one is nailing this right now. So do the, do the things, learn from others, and, uh, and keep testing. Yeah, That's and we're all in this together, right? Uh, we're all in the Absolutely. same storm, right? Different boats in the same storm, I've heard the analogy. Oh, and um, we're, yeah. all, we're all figuring this out, and there's no better yeah. time, and there's no going back. That's the theme for this whole summit, is there's no going back. 
stop waiting for the past. We are going into the future. This is the future of work. This is the future of facilitation. So let's figure out how to do it and not just wait around for, for things to go back to the past. So yeah. I read, sorry, just on that, I read a really great article. James Altucher was talking about New York City and how he thinks it's like CBDs, cities, he goes, are just over. That's yeah. what he was talking about because we're figuring out very quickly. There's like before bandwidth and after bandwidth. We're living in the after bandwidth age. So yeah, absolutely. Now's the time to, to get on board. 100% future of work is now. Leanne, this has been fantastic. For anybody who wants to go find you, follow you, learn more from you, where, where should they go? Cool. Yeah, you can view it my work at leannehughes.com or listen to my podcast. It's called First Time Facilitator. Over 135 episodes in. So if you're just finding it, lots of content to help you build your facilitation game. Yeah, and it's not just for first-time facilitators, for experienced facilitators as well. You put a lot of great content out there and on social media as well. Uh, Leanne, this has been fantastic. So much value here. I know that it has been valuable for me. If I look back at my notes, we talked about uh, the challenges of doing things virtually. Uh, we talked about getting into mindfulness and meditation and how to set up programs, how to get people in to the programs, letting participants in one-on-one, -on -one, forming that chat, building that bond, overcoming the uncertainty that comes with a new program, um, getting in touch, building relationships ahead of time, um, getting more people involved in sharing, nominating captains coming out of breakout rooms, how to use breakout rooms, the different types of objectives to consider when you're designing a new program, uh, rational, experiential objectives, leveraging other tools like WhatsApp, how to think about how long people should be on live video and what other components and tools uh, you should consider. And then, you know, the risks if we don't take action and the importance of being courageous and trying new things. Uh, so many really great points in here. So thank you again, for Leanne, for coming on and sharing. And thank all of you for joining us for this session. Make sure you write down what are those one or two key takeaways, things that you took note of, those ideas, and make a plan to go take action on that so that you can get the maximum amount of value on this. Reach out to Leanne or me if you want any help. And if you haven't already, make sure you buy that all access pass. And I will see you in the next session.